Hey, everybody. All right, here we are with Mike Lyons from Recovery Systems. Uh, Mike's a fascinating man, and what he doesn't know about recovery probably isn't <laughs> isn't the right way to do it. <laughs> so, oh, talk, talk me up, Rob. Oh, no, yeah. I can only fail from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a fascinating man to listen to, so I'm, I'm hoping that people will be able to tune into this and take some, some little gems and some pearls away from you. So fire away, um, Mike. Thanks, Rob. I've been following your your group for for ages. Very active crew, and love to see love to see all the social media of of all the races and exports, both in New Zealand and overseas, which is really cool. Parallel to being an athlete, I coached. Rob, you'll know how tough that is. Being an athlete yeah. coach, yeah, yep. <laughs> it's good fun. It's rewarding <laughs> when uh, I get beaten by my athletes. <laughs> influencing factor was I blew out my left hip. I had arthritis and I had spinal injury and I'd been dealing with autoimmune disease as well, which is which is something I'm trying to treat myself through some of the methods that we use. Recovery Systems has been an eight-year journey and we've, we've, we've morphed into a couple of different areas, which I'll talk about. And then I, I do a bunch of race commentary. So, you know, if I can't do it anymore, Rob, I may as well talk about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> so I, well, no, you're, you're still very active and, and, and competing. Coach Mike on the mic is my personal social media, and I still coach. So I'm a level two certified, ITU level two certified coach. Rather than have 50 athletes in day, as in days gone by, my major focus for being a coach is to be a voice to other coaches on recovery. Because tra- training makes you worse, and it's only when you get the super compensation from proper recovery methods are you actually locking in gains and keeping yourself out of harm's way in the first place, but then locking in gains. Uh, saying exercise is medicine, what turns it into poison is the dose. And the, the dose could be either intensity or duration at the wrong time of an athlete's development. It could be a first-year athlete coming to us and saying, I want to do Ironman New Zealand in six months' time. Okay, what's your athletic history? I've been sitting on the couch for 20 years. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> maybe we should talk about Ironman New Zealand in four years' time. And maybe maybe some goals are a, a much, much more achievable goals would be to do a few duathlons, and then you'll find out how hard a duathlon is. Sorry, 10... 10.40.10. I think that that's mm. about as hard as a 70. Yeah, yeah, they're tough. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, other, the other question we ask, and, and I'm, I'm sure you do as well, is what's your, what's your training budget in hours per week? Because if, you te- if you're telling me you've got eight hours to, to train, then that's really the domain of a sprint distance. And, and possibly you could bluff your way into an Olympic distance, but you're probably not going to have a whole lot of fun. You probably need 10 to 12 hours for an Olympic and then around 15 to 18 for 70.3. And yeah, then- I, really, I, I really struggle when, when people say that they can do an Ironman on 11 hours a week because it's, yep. it's just, this doesn't end well. So I, I tell them the story of Mr. I'm going to call him Mr. X, an English guy that moved to Singapore and discovered the weather's fine here and it was great for being outdoors. So he fell in love with triathlon he was in his second year of sporadic training and he wanted to do an Ironman so I I put in in his path a a structure over nine months 
which which at a stretch would get him to the start line in a in in a way that he wasn't going to do himself harm. So he divided my my training for him by two. In other words, he did half the amount. And then he bluffed his way through the race. He did something like 14 and a half hours and not exactly flash. Uh, and then he had an immune system breakdown, broke out in boils mm. and put on 10 kilos that he hasn't been able to lock, to lose. Uh, wow. in, so his, his body went into term, turmoil. And, and that was after months and months of begging him and even even riding to his to his condo and waiting at the gate for him in a morning early morning at a predetermined time in order to pick him up and make sure he did the work but he was quite often a no-show so there's there's an example of overreaching and the, the other thing I would say to people particularly triathletes is that it's not a rite of passage to go through sprint olympic 70.3, then Ironman. It's not something you need to tick every box on. And in in my case, I had my best races at Olympic distance. I represented New Zealand at two world champs, had a one particularly good race in, in Budapest. I could, in 2010, I think it was so long ago, I, I had a, a few pretty good 70.3s, but really it was at the limit of my endurance capabilities. And, and that was how my body's tuned. I only ever did one Ironman. And as I was coming down and finishing, and I did it so that I needed to go through it, go through the training so I understood what my athletes were needing to do and under, under, understood the toll that it took and how much recovery was required. And I remember running down the finishing chute, the carpeted area with everyone cheering and yelling. And I said to myself, I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that I, I knew that wasn't my sweet spot, and you'll you'll get athletes. I'm sure that where it is a sweet spot, the athletes that tools, frequency of use of of tools and methods, and and also a little bit of myth busting. So if we go into sleep, it is the number one modality. I think it's the first equal, along with nutrition. So a good a good physiotherapist friend of mine said, oh, it's not sleep, it's time. I kind of agree with him. You do have an, need to have an appropriate amount of time in between key training sessions in order for your body to manage the whole recovery process. There's ways that you can speed that up. And if that time involved elements of poor sleep, then the results are not going to be the same. So just looking at Looking at a few things that are factors. So the good old alarm clock. You're Rob. You're co you're mostly coaching age, uh, age group. A lot of elites in there. I'm speaking to. I'll shout out to Chris Dunn, who I was speaking to recently. Uh, and I know a lot of your team are front of the pack, and they probably weren't front of the pack when you first started coaching them. So kudos to you. That's progression over time. That's applying a lot of the good old Arthur Lydiard principles to training. It's a, a progression, progressive overload with with some with recovery weeks, good periodization in order to lock everything in. So for a lot of age groupers, I think the alarm clock is your frenemy. We, just, we talked about yeah. this. Your human growth hormone is at its peak just before you nat naturally awake. Mm. And sometimes... 
prematurely disturbing that with an alarm clock is not a great thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, we live in a world where we need to clock on to work and clock off to work. So we do have certain parameters we've got, in many cases, kids to drop off to school and other responsibilities in our life. Therefore, an alarm clock is necessary. But what I would say is it's a principle and an idea that I discussed with you last time, which is a plus four, plus eight, plus 24. So some days you'll wake up and you're not feeling it. Well, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people every day. But sometimes it's, and you can monitor these things with, how did I sleep? What is my HRV? And sometimes your body's saying, and all the signals and all the data is saying, no, don't train. So I think there's a real benefit to pushing that training session back four hours or eight hours. So four hours, turn it into a lunch session. It might not be quite as long, but at least it's ticking over or an eight, eight hours. So that bike ride you were going to do earlier or that run now becomes an evening affair. So in which you're giving yourself sufficient time to recover or could be a rest day. I coached a, a lot of type A's in the past. And I knew I was doing a good job as a coach if they messaged me in the morning and said, coach, I'm taking a day off. Because these were people that were wanting to add to their training, not subtract to it. So when I heard them do that, I gave them a round of applause because they're <laughs> listening properly to their bodies and keeping yeah. themselves from harm's way. The second thing is sleep hygiene, which is partly cleanliness is next to godliness, but also having a nice dark room. If you, if you can turn Wi-Fi off, very difficult. Where I am in an apartment here, I'm getting hit by about 15 Wi-Fis right now. There's a cell tower in the block next to us. There's a, there's a substation generator, substation 200 metres from where I am. I've got a lot of electromagnetic smog to, to deal with. But if you can minimise that as best as possible, keep your room cool, and personally, I wear an eye mask because I'm very sensitive to light, and that helps Im immensely. News flash: muscles grow when you rest, not one, not when you train. You're actually tearing muscles down, and it's only through appropriate rest, nutrition, and recovery are you actually locking in the gains and finding ways to trigger the parasympathetic system or putting your body into rest and digest, which we're going to talk about a little bit more later, are very important. Everything's measurable. Everything's monitorable these days. I would imagine that Garmin devices are quite common with your, with your crew. So they're going to help track things like sleep. And we want to be measuring that. And as I mentioned earlier, that alarm clock, clock scenario, maybe your watch is saying, Goodness, I only had 30 minutes deep sleep last night. Deep sleep is to the body what REM sleep is to the brain in, in, a, in a very general term. So we need to be tuning into, is that enough? Based on what I did, is that enough? A little bit of a, a note with swim squads, swimming in the evening. The challenge we have in this part of the world with swimming is that the pool temperatures are around 24 degrees mm. and people dehydrate enormously without realizing it. The water temperature in New Zealand is probably closer to 20 in the pools. Would, would that be correct? 
Yeah, it depends if you're it depends on what pool you're in, but some of the teaching pools it's twenty six, twenty seven. Um, oh, okay. A lot yeah. of them, a lot of them are twenty three to twenty six. So yeah, we're about twenty four degrees, twenty five. Yeah, so we we had a lot of problems with athletes sleeping after swim squat because with swimming you can push people a little harder because it's load bearing and there's there's they're not going to get the same sort of damage as say running in in comparative in a comparative sense. But what we did find is they were running down the trace elements, so magnesium, potassium, and so on. A lot of them were having jiggly jiggly legs I'm calling it jiggly leg syndrome but if you've got restless legs it's quite often a sign that you you're getting low on magnesium and if that's disturbing your your sleep then that can be a, a bit of an issue one other factor is if you're waking up with your feet sticking out of the blankets your feet are trying to regulate your heat and you're you know you've you've probably gone to bed a little bit cooked so maybe a little bit of contrast therapy before bed would be a good way of getting yourself into into a good state. That's really um, relevant for people that do, a lot of people do Zwift sessions or Zwift races late in the evening. Yeah. You know, if they put the kids to bed and they might do a, a late night race or a late night workout and then go yep. straight to bed and, and often can't sleep for the, the first couple of hours. Yeah, um, the central nervous system's just yeah. hot, just hot. Just and uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. I've got some, got some tricks later this year that, that might be helpful. So the next thing we're going to ha have a look at is tools. One of them is active recovery daily. In the picture, we have Amelia Rose Watkinson, by the way, who is one of one of our athletes who lives in Gold Coast these days. So I, I really like swimming recovery for runners. If someone's a pure runner, I love to throw them in the pool because the movement patterns are completely different. And they, they, they generally are very poor at swimming, which pushes their cardiovascular system really nicely, but they're getting the, the load-bearing nature of the water, the different movement patterns in order to help them recover. recover. Of course, for, for us triathletes, getting in the pool and having an easy swim where you may, may not even be measuring your 100 times or anything of that nature, but having a, an unstructured session where it's fins, fins and paddles or kickboard and fins, things of that nature and get the movement patterns, change up the movement patterns. If you're mostly a freestyler, which most of the triathletes are, let's get some medleys going. If you're not good at butterfly, put the fins on and let's let's get some alternative movements happening and, and don't put yourself under pressure with measuring in terms of time, but just go through the motions, get different movement patterns happening. Rollers, rollers and balls. So I've put in brackets here frequencies. This is kind of like an open for debate. Some people say, well, I use my roller and, and, and foam roller and, and balls daily. Great. I would probably say maybe don't do such things if, you're, if you've just had a big event and your muscles are under trauma. They will, will probably get tighter rather than looser. And you're, you're, what you're doing with foam rollers is, and balls is you're trying to release the insertion points or an attempt to break down scar tissue to return the range of motion. It's probably You probably get the best response when muscles are relatively recovered rather than try and rather than try with super fatigued or super tired muscles. They may not respond very nicely. Massage. So I put here two to four weeks. So that's, and I'm talking proper sports 
massage. And we, we've got some really good folks here. I'm sure you have in Auckland. And these people intuitively know where to spend more time. And they're using mis mixed martial art submission techniques <laughs> in order to break down scar tissue, where you'll be crying at the end of it. And it's highly necessary in order to re restorative because of the repetitive nature of what we're doing, cycling in the, you know, the same movement patterns, same planes, same with running and swimming. So these guys are very essential to, to keeping you out of trouble. I would personally, I'd schedule this in a recovery week and, and nowhere close to a key race because you're probably going to be worse before you're better. And so good to know, and that should be part of everyone's routine. A modern one is the percussion gun. There's lots of them out there. And I, I would say it's the same kind of protocol as a roller and and a ball. Don't put it on traumatized muscles. Your, your muscles won't respond. Example, you've just finished a, mar a marathon. Best keep this away from your legs. It's probably not going to be a good look. And it's going to create more damage rather than the therapy. So I'd wait for your till you're relatively recovered to have a good session with the percussion gun. And keep it away from bones. Yeah, yeah. And especially, especially if you suspect you've got a stress reaction or a stress fracture, probably the worst thing you can do is hammer yep. away at it. Yes, very cautious. Yep. Yeah, they they do they do have their they are they are beneficial. I get a pretty tight back on the on the bike these days, partly being old and decrepit. So I've I've work work away on my back, but I'll use it when I'm recovered, and then around the shoulder areas mostly for me. So cupping is cupping available in in the Auckland area or in New Zealand? Mm, we see a little bit of it, but it's not something we see much. Yeah, it's not as yeah. not as popular as the, as the other techniques. Kind of a, a a little bit of Eastern medicine here, but what it's doing is lifting 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 the, the fascia and allowing blood to flow where it might, may have otherwise have been blocked. It's quite common in Asia these techniques, mm. as is acupuncture and dry needling they're two different things based on the angle and the insertion have, have you ever um were you a practitioner of either of these rob i've received them i haven't i haven't performed it but i have received yep. yeah it uh, can be really good for resetting the the nervous system where yeah. the pain receptors are going crazy and yeah. allowing allowing a pathway for recovery so that they do have their certainly have their the use cases I've, so I've always been of the of the frame of mind if I've needed dry needling I'm probably training too hard I need to take a couple of days off because it's so uncomfortable I don't want to go through it too often yeah, fair <laughs> enough and I had that I just had that that discussion around doms with somebody if, if you're getting doms you're overreaching mm. quite frankly doms are a bridge too far yeah. if you're and it may mean overreaching could could mean it's too early in your training phase to do what you just tried to do or mm. even if you are uh, really deep into your training but you just go and do you just go ballistic on something then yeah and you've got doms well overreached it's probably not a good look okay this one's controversial and people <laughs> may or may not agree we've got a bit of a wave of interest in our part of the world in Asia with Wim Hof, Wim Hof, the breathing. So I'm, I'm up for the breathing. I'm actually doing a breathing course at the moment just to see how I respond to it. And that's things like bolt breathing, square breathing, breath holds, 
reducing respiratory rate, improving the body's ability to handle carbon dioxide. I've also been working with a really interesting dentist who has a method of through, I'm going to call it a mouth guard, but it's not actually like we know a mouth guard for rugby, but this is actually moving the tongue so that in poor airway situation, the tongue actually moves back and blocks the airway. And this happens to a lot of athletes and they don't realize it. So the, the mouth guard repositions the tongue lower and allows the, the airways to be completely open. So re really fascinating stuff around breath and breath work. Having worked with New Zealand rugby and also collision sports like mixed martial arts, uh, fighting sports and so on, ice is appropriate even for the likes of football, which we work with, even though football's supposed to be non-contact, there inevitably is. So icing, ice for trauma is appropriate because it's controlling pain relief and, uh, sorry, pain relief and controlling internal bleeding. So that would be rugby and so on as well. However, ice day-to-day -day for endurance athletes will actually mitigate gains because first phase of healing is inflammation. And if we're blocking that, the inflammation, we're blocking the chain reaction of, of the trigger to release growth hormones to do the lymphatic drainage, to remove the metabolic waste, release growth hormones for growth and repair. And ultimately that's the pathway to recovery and, and gains. So ice actually mitigates that. I think for triathletes, my exception to the rule is, of course, we use ice in, in hot races. You've got some guys going to Kona and going to Nice. I believe Nice could be, Nice is a hot race. It's very hot around here. We've got kind of feels like 38 degrees, 90% humidity, and ice during a race or even straight after is good for keeping the core temperature under control. So ice, meaning as, as you'd know, Rob, you'd be familiar with the head, the heart, the armpits, the groin, back of the neck, and probably not something you, you encounter too much in New Zealand, but in, for guys doing hot races, keeping that under control is, is quite important. Yeah, I see, it, I, I see a place for it more in, in that thermoregulation more than a recovery technique myself. Unless it's an yep. injured, injured tissue, I still, I'm still a bit old school. I still like ice for an injured, strained body tissue, but I, I'm not so much of a fan of it for a day-to-day -day recovery technique. Yeah, I've got a, a core body temperature monitor, so I'm actually constantly monitoring my own body temperature and using cooling strategies during training and racing. So I'm a big fan of that side of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So just for those who haven't done many hot races, the smaller people racing in the heat, there is an, definitely an acclimatization. We've seen folks come from Melbourne winter to race in Bintan, which is Indonesia, just next door to Singapore. And they'll go out, they have a good swim because they're typically good swimmers. They'll blast away on the bike and shoot some really low number on the bike and then they'll come and blow up on the run and it's that heat acclimatization that they, they don't know what hit them so it typically affects bigger units bigger people more because of surface area because your body cools through evaporation mm. and there's no evaporation your the sweat sits on you there's no cooling factor whatsoever and therefore 
your effort level will be here, but your heart rate's up here, up here much higher in order to try and cool yourself. Same sort of scenarios when you turn the aircon on the car and the revs go up. It's your body's having to rev harder in order to cool. So the opposite's true. You put big units into a cold environment, they'll have a good time of it. You put small people in a cold environment, particularly from Asia, they'll suffer. They're just not built for it. So I, I think there's a fair bit of acclimatization required. I, I don't know how you can best do that with the exception of turning up and doing a bunch of saunering perhaps or, or simulating it in some way, maybe having, having all the pots boiling in the kitchen, Rob, and, and set your trainer up in the kitchen, try and simulate some sort of humid environment there with the heaters on. <laughs> yeah, well, that's something I, I do a lot of actually heat acclimation, and so it don't, you don't have to go quite over that extreme, but you can actually use PVC suits, clothing, you know, yeah. protective clothing, and you can wear that when you're on a trainer, and that effectively does the same thing as putting a heater in the room. And, Great uh, idea. And when you when you're monitoring your body temperature, it actually it actually shoots up pretty quickly, and it's really really effective. But the other thing we do is we have a training camp each year in Samoa in August as preparation for world championships in Hawaii. And so summer in August is very hot and humid. It's a great location and it's easy to get to. So it's that's that's how we do our heat acclimation as well as using an environmental chamber in Auckland and sauna work as well. So yeah, it's yep. lots of things you can do around that. Brilliant. That, that's super. Great idea. So we're, we're recovery. We're, we're going to segue into, into what we've done as a, as a job. So, as a business. So a lot of this came from out of me coaching and and competing previously and asking the question, what can I do? repeatability? And repeatability will move the needle. So rather than head for a spa or a recovery center once in a while, if there are things that you can do in a home environment, then you're going to be much better off from a marginal gains point of view rather than doing something once in a while, once a month or twice a month. So a little bit of a drill down to where we've come. I've I very ambitiously put industry leader up here, and I think we are leading in... in uh, SBF, yeah. <laughs> thank you, in a certain <laughs> sense. That's open to interpretation, I know. But some of, the th some of the areas that we've really focused on is looking at the use case for functionality for athletes and then understanding how they can get the most out of it and teaching athletes that. So, Rob, you've got the pants, yep. I believe, and you discovered... Uh, I've, I've got the legs. I haven't got the pants. Oh, you've got the legs. legs. Okay. Yeah. So, legs. So, we're six chambers. Most of the industry is four or five. We've got four times the recovery modes. By the way, our machine's twice the, the power of most of the machines in the market. So, there's a real effectiveness. And you think that going from four to six chambers, which we have six... Doesn't sound like much, but it's a bit like going from a four-cylinder to a, to a six-cylinder. There's a whole lot of incremental power that we that is available as a result of that, which tends to manifest itself in, in quicker recovery, particularly in bigger scenarios like these pants, which are up to the waist. So this is getting into the hip and glute area as well. In New Zealand, this, is, this has been our most popular we call them cuffs, C-U-F-F. Some people call them wraps. And then is the four, we, we have four recovery modes. So each of them have the use case. You recently discovered D during your Swift mm. racing. So yeah. D meaning 
all the cells turn on at the same time, then off, which yeah. is really good for warm up. Any yeah, any so, comments on, on what you found? Yeah, I just do eight minutes of D prior to a jumping on the trainer prior to a workout, and I might just sit there with a often I have a coffee at the same time just to try and maximise every you know get as many opportunities as I can to get the body ready for a, a, a race. Yeah, and, and I think you pointed me to the study that showed eight minutes was sufficient to, to get that flow. I've got got that slide coming up next. So I'll just point out before we head off onto that slide, we've got a combination here, which is this is a world first, two people sharing one machine, which is great for clubs, teams and families. So we often find there's more than one family member is wanting to do recovery, even if they, they may not be an athlete, but they may be on their feet all day. So this combination has been very popular. This is focusing on the posterior chain, the upper pods through to the hip and glute area, and then the, the legs. So a very nice combination. So there's, there's a few biomechanical and mechanical benefits to this as we're pushing the blood up into the lymphatic system, actually towards the heart. So even though the, the leg cuffs might finish towards the top of the legs, the blood volume's moving up quite a lot higher. So the extraction of waste is happening through the lymphatic system. And then every minute or so, there's a release of fresh nutrients back to speed up the healing, recovery, and gains. There's a couple of benefits. One's biomechanical and the other's mechanical. So there's a strain and shear in the mechanical, which is good for healthy vascular conditions. And the other's a whole lot of plasminogen. I'll let you read that. I talked to my vascular surgeon about this, and he gave me a he gave me a a, a big rundown on on each of the those. And he said, "Look, the summary is there's a whole lot of biomechanical goodness in terms of the delivery mechanism back of everything you need to recover properly." I said, "That's good enough for me. Thank you very much, Doctor Stephen." So he's the, a guy. Uh, we, yeah. the, the one the one aspect of that that I really enjoy is the share properties and that's I think comes about from having the six chambers is you can actually feel you can actually feel that the sharing movement of the of the, the the boots as the as each chamber fills up and it does actually feel like a massage and I, I find that's probably gives more benefit than than I probably give it credit for at the time and when yeah. now when you're describing this I think yeah actually the sharing motion is such an important thing under under compression yeah thank you I appreciate your scientific mind on that one. So part of the reason for the effectiveness of the share also is the fact that the cuffs overlap. They're not they're not side by side. They actually overlap. So it makes it a smoother transition from one area to the other from the foot upwards. It's quite different. It's quite different to a compression sock. So compression socks are static in nature and a tiny bit of pressure. They only effectively work in a very small way if you're moving because there's no pumping otherwise as opposed to I've got a little graphic of what's actually going on the squeeze upwards and then the release downwards and the, the pressure range being up to 240 mmhg so the effectiveness is in the movement and also in the pressure now this is the slide that you talked about earlier the eight minutes so the, the graph that we have here is measurements taken with a muscle oxygen sensor. So we noticed that in eight minutes, the muscle oxygen was pushed up above what it would normally take 30 to 40 minutes to reach. So the baseline for this 
particular athlete, athlete is around 75. And very quickly, in actually less than eight, but let's call it eight minutes, is it's being pushed over and up and above that. So the benefit there is, as you quite rightly, beautifully pointed out, while you're having a coffee, you are priming your vascular system ready to go. So you've just taken potentially 30 minutes to 40 minutes out of the necessary time that you need to spend in order to get to your key point of the session. So if you've got an athlete doing, say, a swift race or where they're doing blocks of four or eight minutes at race pace, whether that's running or on the bike, then they're way ahead of the game. So in other words, they've biohacked their warm-up. Tell me, how, how long after that eight-minute compression does the muscle oxygen stay at that level? Like, does it drop off after a wee while or do you have to basically get on the bike straight away? There'd be a tiny drop-off, but let's say you're going to drive somewhere and do a duathlon. Well, you can take the boots with you, sit in the car when you arrive and do that eight minutes because it's all portable, it's battery-powered. Battery lasts four hours, so you've got, even if you're not driving, you could be in the passenger seat doing doing a session. What I would point out, though, yes, it does last an hour or so afterwards. They'll be on a diminishing basis. But if you go beyond about 20 minutes, just beware, you'll probably start to feel sleepy. So I'd keep the warm-up around 10. And there's a reason, of, I'll, I'll go into the reason for the sleepiness in a minute. So we'll look at recovery and sleep. So what we're looking for is uh, ways to speed up the supercompensation. Part of this is sleep itself, of course, but anything we can do to influence sleep is good. Nutrition, definitely. And then the timing of everything. So we, we looked at over the years, we know that lots of people fall asleep when they're on the boots. I don't think you've seen this, Rob, have you? I remember, yeah, you showed us the slide before. All right, yeah. okay. Yeah, so, fascinating, yeah. Yeah, so we, we did some brain studies because we wanted to see what was going on. And I had, it, I had a 10-page report summarized by a scientist. And basically, there's a whole decluttering of the brain. You've got bright colors over here, a lot of brain activity to a lot of cooler colors here, which he summarized as a decrease in delta, theta, and alpha. In, in this case, that's highly beneficial for less brain fatigue, better focus, less distractions, better brain focusing and processing. You tend to focus on one thing. And it also optimizes, there's a bit of a gateway towards better sleep and brain health. So as an illustration, we've done lots of triathlons, including Ironman races, running recovery lounges in this part of the world, also bike races, running races, and so on, Spartan. And we, we noticed that people would come in dying to talk to their friend about their race, and then 10 minutes later, they're fast asleep. So it's to, be honest, to, to be honest, you could probably just give them that 10-page document, and they'll probably fall asleep anyway without <laughs> having to put the boots on. <laughs> well, I did. So what, yeah. what's going on here is you're resetting your central nervous system and you're giving your body, as a result of that, the body's switching into parasympathetic mode and that, that triggers the, the body to then release growth hormone and all the necessary things in order to speed up the, the recovery. So here's, here's a good example of that. 25 minutes, this is WHOOP data, 25 minutes on the boots. And you can see the number plummeting, the stress 
number plummeting and at the end of it it was recorded as low it also manifests itself in sleep data so here's some here's some pretty good numbers two hours 51 deep sleep two hours 23 rem sleep so not un, not on not uncommon hmm. this is this is the prime reason i i recommend people to get compression boots more so than the the pneumatic compression on the muscles. I mean that that will help as well, but it's the sleep benefit that you get after it, which I yep. which is the number one reason I tell people that the boots yep. are more than just it's, it's not just a, a a manual therapy aid. It's actually a sleep yep. aid as well, and it's highly recommended. So, yeah, let's come back to two scenarios that you talked about. One's evening swims. We discussed that, and secondly is swift races. This is a great way for people to wind down. So of any time of day that you should use the boots. You can use them anytime, but I would say before bed in that wind down phase is really beneficial. Start of the day also can be really beneficial just to get everything everything primed. So yep, really good point. Sure, sure. Rehab, so blood flows king for for rehab. You can put you can put ice packs or gel packs inside the cuff if you've got a strain. And you do need, if, if there's some trauma, and then have the pressure reduced greatly. Just as an aside, we have a cold therapy machine is being released next month. And this this is quite a, quite a unit. It's really focused on the, solely on the rehab industry. Right? So that's surgery, physiotherapy, rather than home use. It's, it's a fairly big ticket item. It's, it's not so what we've designed here in the boots is hopefully within reach of many people for, on a home use basis and given the cost of massage in New Zealand which is around 100 bucks the ROI if you use this every day the ROI is probably three weeks and oh, typically absolutely <laughs> yeah typ typically there's more than one person in the household using it so the ROI is it, quite a good compelling nature finally travel so all you folks traveling to Kona don't leave this stone unturned <laughs> because you'll get on the plane when the when that cabin door closes the SBO the your blood oxygen will drop to 94% and your body will start producing edema one of our best edema candidates is welcome Dougal Allen <laughs> when he stepped on a plane whenever he stepped on a plane pre boots when he didn't have the boots his ankles would become ankles the mm. Dougal suffered terribly on the on the plane. He's a very fit guy, obviously, but his body couldn't handle that change in cabin pressure. And he was typically traveling to places where he was trying to make money for, yeah. for a living. So that's uh, such a that's so it has to be stressed so much, especially for people that are traveling to Kona. Yep. And I've, I, every time I've been there, and I've been there like eight or nine times now, it's you step off that plane, and for the next two or three days, you're just dealing with these fat swollen ankles and it yep. hurts to run it hurts to sit down it just it, it hurts to walk around it's just you know you've got to get rid of it it affects it affects everything about the race you know absolutely a few days after yeah. if you if you don't own a pair then try and rent i think grant mm. wengler at wengler sport will, will fix you up with something share the rental with two friends and use them 15 minutes every hour on the plane. So we, we consulted with Singapore Swimming when they were going to Tokyo mm -hmm. about how to get the most out of the boots. So that was one of the protocols because you've got 
people who've trained for 12 years for an Olympics and leaving at the last hurdle, messing themselves up on the flight to the to their big race. And so we that was part of their protocol, 15 minutes every hour on the boots. So it might be a good opportunity to share for those of you that are traveling or doing long haul flights. If anyone's coming through Singapore to go to Nice, then look us up, Rob will, you can find us through our Instagram. Come and do a recovery session in our office. We're not far, we're, Singapore's only quite small anyway, it's the size of Lake Taupo. So come and do some recovery if you are spending a day or more than, you know, more than 10 hours or so in Singapore, then book that in. We'd, we'd yeah. love to see you. The other aspect I'd just like to cover quickly is our biomats, which is something we released close to two years ago. How this fits into our recovery thinking is what the boots are to circulation, the biomats are to cell and nerve regeneration. So it's referred to, if you are familiar with the elements, earth, fire, air, and water. Ether is the fifth element. Ether is magnetic, magnetic therapy. Now, in New Zealand, I've noticed through social media that people are starting to talk about grounding a little more. So what is grounding? Grounding is walking around bare feet and absorbing the Earth's magnetic frequency. That magnetic frequency is 7.83 hertz. How can I be so exact? (laughs) It's called Schumann's frequency. It was discovered by a gentleman called Schumann. Originally, magnetic therapy was first discovered and its benefits to humans by Nikolai Tesla. So more about that in a second. The problem we have, it's probably worse where we are than where you are, is this issue of electromagnetic smog. You can probably see along here a few things that you've got in your neighborhood, though. Power stations, Mm -hmm. cell towers, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and so on. So when you look at our bodies have around 800 billion cells. These are all like little batteries and they need to to function properly. They need to be properly charged because our body works via electrical impulses. So all that ATP, protein synthesis, detoxification and and so on, anti-inflammatory properties, it all works through proper electrical systems in the body or the body being optimal in that regard so so we gave ourselves a challenge of looking at the benefits of a infrared sauna of red light therapy which i'm pretty sure there are spas or studios in auckland now or around new zealand we work with some of them in 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 the taranaki we, we supply one of the recovery clinic in, in the Taranaki called the, the float sanctuary. So they've got a magnesium float tank and a few other things. They've got air gear in there as well. So negative ion therapy, contrast therapy, which is different to ice, of course, because you're going from cold around 10 degrees to, to hot and repeating that process. That has some real benefits in terms of capillary contraction and expansion. And that, that, then, that then encourages detoxification and also autophagy or the removal of dead cells from the body, which is essential for creating space for new cell growth. So if there's a bit of a traffic jam, a lot of rubble on the road, then it doesn't happen as easily. So autophagy is is quite important. So saunering 
would be in itself is an example of that. And then finally, pulse electric magnetic frequency. So we built, we took all those principles and built them into a mat. The mat is sitting, sitting behind me, mm -hmm. I just a couple of times a day. And so let's go into each of these. Some of these are, are new to New Zealanders in that some of these have been floating around traditional medicine from a lot of different cultures who, who were very advanced civilizations like the, the Chinese, the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Egyptians, when they were in their heyday, they discovered a lot of these principles. So let's take a look at some old and some new. Some of the new is the PEMF, as I mentioned, Nikolai Tesla discovered it. There's been 10,000 papers written on this, including a four-year study by NASA. The reason why NASA was so interested in it is that they knew that if they sent astronauts outside of the beneficial magnetic fields of the Earth, one is atmospheric and the other, as I mentioned earlier, is the Earth itself's magnetic frequency. If they were sending astronauts outside of that those beneficial fields, then they're putting them in harm's way. So they actually NASA built it into spacesuits and also into the spacecraft itself in order to sustain, properly sustain human life. So some of the principles of magnetic therapy are, it's highly anti-inflammatory. It's used to treat both body and brain. So everything from PTSD, ASD, multiple sclerosis, autism, stress, anxiety, elements of seasonal affective disorder in the, in the winter. And it naturally restores the body's natural circuitry. Red light therapy. So this is low heat laser. So all these all these frequencies penetrate not just at the surface but into the body in order to create the therapy element. So with red light therapy, when red red light comes in contact with dormant cells, they reactivate mitochondria. So of course, mitochondria being the basis for power and energy, ATP production, but it's also boosting collagen production. So all the ladies that are listening to this will probably get very excited right now, or perhaps they will. But actually, collagen is everything from cell membrane through to soft tissue. And of course, it ultimately manifests itself in the health and wellness of our biggest organ, which is our skin, highly essential for regulation of a whole lot of different things. So, And then, as I mentioned, there's also a benefit for winter in terms of seasonal affective disorder. Three other elements real quick. One is far infrared joint inflammation being mm. a primary. Negative ion therapy. So everyone feels good around the ocean, particularly crashing waves or in forest. And the reason why there's a very high percentage of negative ions in those environments. Negative ions take out harmful bacteria and EMF. They're a great neutralizer. It assists re respiratory health. Of course, we've had a little bit, we know a lot more about respiratory health now after COVID, don't we? <laughs> and cognitive performance improves serotonin production. In other words, it has a real benefit to sleep. So a lot of these, a lot of these therapies in the biomat point at sleep. And finally, heat. What are you telling me this is some electric blanket? Well, if <laughs> if 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 all it was was just heat, well, that's one thing, but it's doing a whole lot of 
detox, cell and nerve regeneration, working on the energy systems, optimizing a whole bunch of stuff as well along the way, protein synthesis and so on. So the heat range is between 30 and 70. So most people are, are using the, the mat either to start the day and finish the day. Some who are working from home are using it for daytime naps and meditation. And some post-training are using it as a double down with the boots and putting the heat up to around 50, 50 for about half an hour to an hour. So highly beneficial. So let's take a look at, we, we got the, the scientist on this one as well. In this case, we only, we tested with our small mat and with our standard controller. So we got a certain result out of the standard controller. I'll show you what the difference is in a moment. But basically it was a huge boost in alpha state. So our brain scientist said, gateway to sleep. And so without, suffice to say, People fall asleep on the biomat as well. The most common word used in our reviews are sleep and sleep improvements. So here, here are some of those typical results. And these are top, these results appear short term. Long term, there's a whole lot of restructuring going on in a good sense, rebuilding in the body. And that's not as immediate as feeling as the boots. If you use the boots after 10 or 20 minutes, you'll feel different. With the biomat, you'll certainly sleep better. And let's look at let's look at that. Huge sleep improvements, huge amount of, and there's an example of, of a couple of things. So the lady on the right, Signe, is in Auckland. She's a 60-year-old mountain biker. She was previously her deep sleep number was 30 minutes. And she's measuring that off her garment. And she couldn't do any better than that. Within one, the first night on the mat, it went to two hours. The second night, it went to two and a half hours, and it's stayed pretty close, pretty constant around the two and a half hour mark. The lady on the right is an ex-Olympian. She's doing an Olympics of another kind now. She's a working mum with four kids, so that's that's an Olympics of another kind. But she's her deep sleep also improved a lot. In both cases, both these folks are using the biomat before bed until I told them, until I gave them another tip, which I'm going to tell you in a minute or so. Stress reduction is another great immediate benefit. So just like the boots, we saw a real de decline or a real reduction in the stress level. This is measured off a whoop. Some people are measuring it off Aura Ring or Garmin and HRV. We intend as future development as a company to build parameters or build a Bluetooth capability into our products in order to communicate with the smartphone. But we're not just communicating, not using it just as a remote control. We want to actually capture differences in bio biometrics like HRV and then upload to Garmin, to Training Peaks, to Whoop, to Aura and all the, the common platforms. It doesn't stop people now from doing that themselves, but what it will do is capture it as a channel in, in Garmin, in your Garmin device, or as a channel in your in Whoop or Aura, for example, or in Training Peaks. So you can, you being a very scientific coach, Rob, you would like to see some of those metrics. So you can, you've got another thing to look at if your athlete isn't quite improving like you thought, 
you can take it, you can dig a little deeper and take a look at their recovery metrics as well. Yep, definitely. Here's one for the ladies. This is skin improvements. This lady is the wife of one of our customers, one of our clients, and she was using the mat 10 minutes a day. So her skin, in a, this took a month, her skin cleared up just like that. So that, that saves them a fortune and potions and magic ointments and ladies secret business. So she was delighted. So here's, here's what we're capable of doing now. With the, with the mat, we've just launched a new controller and this is next, next level recovery. So we're, we have three sleep frequencies because we know that not everyone's gonna respond to one. And it may be your body interprets the sleep frequencies a little bit differently. We have four awake frequencies. So these go through a routine of taking you up through parameters. And the parameters are between 1 and 30 hertz on the pulse electric magnetic frequency scale. Anyone that wants to research this or wants a scientific summary, I'll send Rob that via WhatsApp. And I'll also send a deep dive document into PEMF it's been studied 10,000 times. And so these frequencies for awake will actually boost, boost cognitive capabilities. So great way of doing 10 to 20 minutes in the morning, what probably while you're having your coffee as well, just to prepare you for the day, particularly if you're, you're feeling like you've got a bit of brain fog. And then daytime rest, meditation, and naps and re-energizing during the day. And finally, all the healing technologies that I mentioned earlier, earthing, photon, negative iron, fire infrared, and heat. So in other words, the this controller, which isn't in our website yet, anyone that wants to reach out to us, we will upgrade them to this controller. It's, it's a $500 upgrade, but anyone in New Zealand or any one of your overseas guys that want to reach out to us, either through our Instagram to say, hey, I'm in Rob's team, then do so. We, If you're interested in the mat, we'll upgrade you to this controller. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no worries. Happy to help. And, and finally, um, we've got, there it is there. Go back. Yep. We've got lots of recovery content. And so I've got a researcher in our team that researches stuff that people are searching on. And lately it's been soft tissue injuries. How long do they take to recover? What's the best way to, to handle them? So this is sort of not exactly not exactly right in the sweet spot of where our business is, but it's a shoulder topic. It's and we want to educate people in in lots of different areas, trail recovery for trail running, recovery for cyclists, and so on. Deep dive into ice, ton of deep dives into PEMF if you want a, a three to four minute read. To, to get a feel for for it but you'll you'll find hopefully that this is a good a good area for you to go to and and have a look at our recovery content or blogs on our on our website as well